0: Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Who's Medical Centre at Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing examining the ear, nose and throat. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello welcome back to Take Orally. Um this episode is on examining the ear, nose and throat and we have Lucy Harris back with us, hello Lucy.
1: Hi.
0: And uh, we're going to go through in a systematic approach examining the ear, nose and throat in this episode. Absolutely. Awesome, uh, very common to see Patients in any and in primary care coming in with some sort of ENT
1: problem. Absolutely. Sometimes, just incidentally, <laughs> 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 and nothing to do with why they've actually attended. Um, Absolutely, um,
0: as we were just talking about. Uh, so, um, what we're we going to go through then today?
1: Um, so, looking really um, uh, at the examination of the ear, nose, and throat, um, divided really into sort of ear, nose, and throat. Um, uh, Absolutely. Um, but looking at the cardinal symptoms of, of the ENT system um, and. And identifying any equipment that might be required for that um, and then how we go about conducting our examination and um, also discussing some of maybe some of the common pathologies um, associated with the uh, with the outer ear tympanic membrane nose and throat as well.
0: Marvellous okay so where are we beginning then?
1: Um, uh, so um, as uh, with any, um, any prior to any examination on a patient we would be uh, taking a full history um, and thinking about uh, using uh, Socrates in, in terms of um, analysing their symptoms um, and presenting complaint, um, and being very clear on what were symptoms and what are signs. So, um, what the patient's actually complaining of, and then the um, the signs of the um, disease process that we could potentially be uh, picking up on during our examination. Um, and thinking about the cardinal symptoms um, of both nose and throat.
0: Remembering that pain is the symptom, tenderness is the sign.
1: Absolutely! Pain uh, is a symptom. So,
0: speaking <laughs> is, about is a sign. so speaking about symptoms, what sort of uh, symptoms are our patients going to be complaining about if we're thinking about the ear in particular?
1: So, lots of uh, very long words need to swallow a medical dictionary, really. Um, so, um, in, in terms of thinking, you mentioned, pain before, Jamie. So, earache um, or otalgia, mm-hmm. um, itching. So, puritus, discharge, otorrhea um, hearing loss um, obviously one of the biggest complaints that people will come in with mm-hmm. um, ringing of the ears so tinnitus mm-hmm. um, of which there are lots of um, lots of underlying reasons for that um, uh, vertigo so hallucination of movement essentially mm-hmm. um, or feeling unsteady okay. on their feet um,
0: vertigo is not a fear of heights despite what people say, it is the
1: hallucination of movement. Hallucination of movement, absolutely. Cool. Um, so really, um, I guess before even starting, it's a good idea to familiarise yourself with the basic anatomy of the ear. Um, I was in uh, a lecture recently where a, uh, a lecturer asked the students to draw their own ear, which I thought was quite interesting, because I don't know if I've examined my own ear uh, at <laughs> any great detail, being on the of how side either. of my head. <laughs> Um, so, um, but yes, it's very, very important just to, to know the, um, the anatomy of your, of your outer ear, uh, middle and inner ear and how they're divided up actually. So you've obviously got your helix, um, um, your pinna, sorry, I should say, on the outer ear, um, which is made up of your um, helix um, concha um, and earlobe um, at the most basic, um, with your tragus at the front there. Um, obviously, what do we use the tragus for as well? Checking for tragal tenderness. <laughs> tragal tenderness. Oh, but you know it gets mentioned in ALS, doesn't it, in terms of measuring out your gadelle Oh you yes, think it about, does indeed. It? Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, and then moving on to the um, the middle ear, um, which essentially is your external auditory me- meatus, mm-hmm. um, and where you'll find lots of um, mostly benign pathology in patients. So if you're thinking about upper respiratory tract infections or um, uh, external ear infections, then um, essentially that that would be the the part you're looking at. Um, And then um, at the end of that, you've got your tympanic membrane um, as well. And behind that, you've got, wow, a lot of things going on lots of tiny tiny bits of anatomy going on um, so thinking about the auditory ossicles your um hammer um, um the malleus um your anvil the incus and your um stirrup which is your stapes um, attached to your oval window um all of which then um uh, essentially uh, go on to um join to the uh, cochlea. Uh, and the semicircular canals uh, filled with fluid. Um, It probably was some of the most interesting anatomy that I learned during my training as an ACP, actually. I think I found this really exciting. Maybe that is just me. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, it's fascinating um, how this all works. Actually, it's It's so intricate, isn't it? It is very cool.
0: Excellent. Uh, So our order examination is the same as before, as with all systems, any body part that we're looking at.
1: Yeah, um, so thinking about um, preparing the patient, obviously gaining consent, um, your inspection, palpation, um, and then I don't know, do you say oroscopy or do you say otoscopy?
0: Uh, well, I mean, this is take orally as a podcast, but I usually say uh, otoscopy. Okay.
1: <laughs> otoscopy?
0: Oh. otoscopy? Otoscope, I don't know. James Pratt takes the mick out of how I say <laughs> Yeah, it's like that anyway.
1: Um, And then at the end of you're going to be thinking about your special test that you're going to perform as well. Yeah. Um, So general inspection of the external ear um, need to be comparing both sides, um, uh, looking at the pinna, the pre and post auricular regions, um, the external auditory meatus, um, Mm -hmm. which I mentioned before, um, and the types of things that we would be looking for um, would be sort of any signs of scars, um, uh, particularly patients who might have had sort of things like mastoidectomies, where it may be Mm -hmm. slightly more apparent. Um, things like hearing aids. I mean, keep it simple. Uh, the things that are very obvious so hearing aids. Um, looking for swellings, um, uh, any lesions, any exudate from the ear, um, or any bruising, um, bruising around the ear um, externally as well. Um, something we probably see more from it, um, more commonly in, in ED setting, really, um, uh, in terms of injury. Um, I guess one of the the things that I was taught and, and one of the, the uh, hammer home uh, messages from my teaching um, was any kind of swellings behind the ear a, a bit of a red flag really and and for an ENT specialty review because you're thinking about things like mastoiditis mm. um, and abscesses behind the ear um, leading on to, to further complications so I, I guess there's a um, uh, requirement there to, to know which specialty you're going to be speaking to um, yeah. and referring on to in, in a timely fashion um, as well. Cool. Uh, And then palpation? So palpating, you already mentioned the tragus, so palpating around the tragus. Um, Commonly um, with external ear infections, um, people will complain of sort of tragal pain, um, um, typically saying it hurts when I push here, which generally (laughs) the answer is don't push there. Um, But um, yeah, so pain around the tragus, um, the pinna, um, around the TMJ, um, so you think about things like TMJ dysfunction with referred pain as well and um, um, the pre and pre regions which we spoke about before and um, so palpating for sort of any tenderness really um, mm. or any collections that you might be able to feel under the skin as well um, Um, And then um, moving on to have a look in the air. So this is something that I wasn't actually taught within my mainstream uh, ACP training. And it's something that I did in addition in terms of looking in people's ears, um, which is something that actually you use so frequently. It's a really important skill. So um, consequently has been added to um, some of the examination skill sessions in the afternoons this this year as well. Um, So... uh, so pulling the pinner up and backwards. Um, I guess having an understanding, firstly, of what your otoscope can do and how you use <laughs> it would be would be the, the, the most crucial thing. So um, familiarising yourself with your, your equipment. Um, make sure that you're using the biggest um, uh, <clears throat> So using the biggest speculum um, yep. uh, that the patient could tolerate. Um, obviously, we all have different sizes, but generally, if you can go for the bigger one, that's better because you'll see more of the tympanic membrane in one shot. Um, so within adults, you pull the pin out upwards and backwards. Um, within children, obviously they have a straight canal already, so don't do that. Um, um, you use the finger just to rest uh, against the patient's cheek as you're positioning um, yeah. the um, oroscope or otoscope, whatever you prefer to use. Um, just because if, if the patient's moving away from you, um, you're likely to sort of go with them rather than, than pull mm. away and you damage their ear or hurt their ear further. Sure. Um, we're so looking for um, uh, canal skin changes, um, specifically things like foreign bodies, uh, which we see frequently in ED, um, inflammation, any vesicles if you're thinking about something like Ramsey-Hunt um, as a presentation, um, or any sort of herpes zoster type presentation, um, and uh, discharge or wax within the ear
0: just remember that you're holding the otoscope or the oroscope whatever you call it you're holding it in the hand that's on the side of the ear that you're examining so you hold it in your right hand if you're examining the patient's uh, right Right ear (laughs) and you hold it in your left hand if you're examining their left ear
1: yeah ambidextrous we all need to be you need to get a bit
0: ambidextrous (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: um, uh, there, so once you've had a look at the, because I think there's a temptation, isn't there, when you look in somebody's ear to head straight for the tympanic membrane, and actually you do need to look at the canal yep. um, as part of that process. Um, so take take your time, try, try not to rush this. Um, but moving on and looking at the tympanic membrane, um, I think this is probably quite familiar for most people. Um, um, uh, and looking at normal membranes, I would say you just need to look at a lot of ears really <laughs> to know what's normal and what's not. Uh, but essentially um, you will see your um, uh, handle of the malleus coming down the middle, which is the most recessed point of your membrane um, at the umbo, um, and then you've got your cone of light on the, generally the right-hand side, lower lower quadrant. Um, uh, you've, at the top, um, just for, for complete you've got your piles flaccida, um, and then uh, um, on the left side of your piles, tensa. Um, and you might be able to see the lateral process of the, uh, of the malleus, um, potentially. Um, there's some really good videos actually um, on um, YouTube, McLeod has McLeod has a very good one, um, which I've put the link within our lecture here today, but if you were searching then you'd be able to find it fairly easily um, cool. on YouTube.
0: What should you sh- What should you look for on YouTube? Who's it by? McLeod. McLeod. McLeod ENT examination. Cool, cool. And uh, so, if you think then about what sort of positive findings we might find then as we're examining our patients here, what are we thinking about?
1: Oh, I mean, there's a wealth, isn't there, really? So we're really only going to be touching on a few, um, but specifically from from the from an ED perspective, I guess we see a lot of things like hematomas behind the ear mm. um or the pinna itself. So so from injuries essentially from Saturday mornings right, like <laughs> with rugby injuries. Um, so hematoma is a result of trauma um, um thinking about how that would later impact on um, <laughs> um thinking about how that would later impact in terms of the aesthetics of the ear um, unless that's treated appropriately. So whether you need to train that hematoma. Um, and damage to the cartilage beneath um, if that wasn't to be done um, and then um, looking for uh, things like preauricular sinuses mm. so lots of people have them um, actually until I learnt this I, I wouldn't have really noticed the tiny little dot in front of people's ears Um realistically I mean it, it wouldn't really impact on their life hugely it just potentially um, would uh, sort of, um, act as a route for infection so they might they might be at greater risk in terms of infection there, but um it's just a tiny hole in the front at the top of the ear um uh Accessory oracles, which are just small tags, cart- cart- um, cartilage tags um, uh, or microchia which is the failed development of the ears. so somebody who doesn't have a complete um, pinna formation um, uh, and looking for things like skin cancers are incredibly common and um, I think it's one of the things that we're very bad at which is putting sunscreen on our ears and um, we managed to do it everywhere else um, but thinking about if you do see a lesion then actually that's something that does need to be sort of sorted and referred on.
0: Absolutely, uh, and uh, when we're actually looking inside the ear, what sort of stuff can we find in the ear canal?
1: So thinking about the ear canal and finding something in the ear canal, I guess wax.
0: Yep, <laughs> it's probably Ooh, a lot of wax. Yeah, <laughs> The absolutely. most common
1: finding, um, mostly blocking the uh, the viewpoint, so you potentially won't see the tympanic membrane, which is no. frustrating. Um, uh, so wax, um, uh, and then thinking about. Um, Sort of the inflammation of the um, external canal, um, as in otitis externa, um, uh, foreign bodies. Um, again, probably not as common with adults. Maybe the paediatric side <laughs> of things. Um, she says with an 18-month-old. Um, and um, uh, cholesteatomas is one of the other things that we. Uh, need to be aware of, and um, mm. and actually, it's quite um, quite an important pathology. If you do find it, as an, even as an incidental finding, um, that it needs really a referral to ENT and for um, for them to monitor that, um, uh, as it can lead to sort of um, hearing loss, essentially. So, actually, if we're picking up the early signs, just. On the off chance of looking somebody's ear than actually, that's something that would need referral anyway. Absolutely. So, um, uh, uh, thinking about findings um, further uh, further in the now so looking at the tympanic membrane, so you see things potentially like perforation of the membrane. Um, I think once seen, you will never forget a perforation, no. it's very clear. Um, uh, retraction of the PARS tensor is uh, something else you might notice as well, and actually, it's a bit, it's one of those that actually, in a sure, Looking at lots of ears and mm. and uh, become quite uh, competent at looking at ears that actually you might mistake that for a, um, a perforation when it isn't. Um, otitis media um, is um, the other thing that you would be looking for specifically. Um, when you're thinking about ear infections, whether we give antibiotics for ear infections, now this is a mute point for the community because <laughs> I know that there's huge restrictions with regards to antibiotics and mm-hmm. what, what we should be treating with antibiotics. And mm-hmm. um, So um, otitis media um, is something that we would consider antibiotics for, whereas otitis external isn't really something that requires no. an antibiotic therapy. Um. And signs of a titus media could be like a bulging of the tympanic membrane. Mm. Um, you may see an effusion behind the uh, the membrane itself, so you can see like a fluid level. Um, sometimes what you can see is a, um, a fluid level with bubbles behind it, and that's mm. sort of a um, uh, a resolving infection where the eustachian tube is actually clearing. So it's now going back up um, to the ear and, and causing that sort of bubble effect.
0: Cool. And I think it's a good... Habit to get into if you see a perforation is to try and describe it from imagine the face of a clock. So, Mm. I think if you're documenting, because they obviously can change, they can extend. So, you can say, you know, uh, there is a a perforation from six o'clock to nine o'clock for example yeah and then if the next day they're seen it's now from six to twelve o'clock you know that it's getting a bit bigger that extended but, but i think that's because otherwise you find yourself doing these weird and wonderful bottom quadrant or whatever and yeah one you know keep it simple i think right then uh so now on to the bit that we definitely didn't have to look up at all or do any sort of um, just to check. To, just to check at all. Uh, so now we're onto our special tests to do with hearing. We're onto the uh, eighth cranial nerve here, vestibulococular nerve. Uh, how are we going to assess our patient's hearing?
1: So, the elusive weathers and really mm. testing yes which i mean in all honesty i, I don't know if i've seen it, it used in practice myself i learned it obviously um and, exams yeah and i would say that maybe advances in technology have superseded this slightly but i think it's a good basis to know about it mm-hmm. should you be in a position where you don't have the technology available absolutely um let's be honest we are heavily reliant on that now and so we're lo- losing some of these really amazing skills that we had before so <laughs> uh, so Weber's essentially is a screening test um, to establish if there is hearing loss either side um, Cool. whether that be um, perceptive or neurosensor or conductive. So, um, essentially, yeah, screening. So, you're screening to see if there is a um, a hearing loss um, and which side that that hearing loss is. Um, if it's heard louder in one ear, then a Rinne's test should be carried yeah. out.
0: Um, so, this is your 512 hertz tuning fork. You give it a tap. You place it in the forehead of the. Uh, the middle of the forehead of the patient and it should be equal, e- heard equally in should both be ears, heard equally so both you say sides. can you hear it equally in both ears is it louder than, than one or the other?
1: Yeah and if, if it's heard louder on one side um, it could indicate perceptive deafness in which case it would lateralise to the intact ear mm. um, and if it's uh, conductive deafness it'll be lateralised into the damaged ear as in bone conduction would be yeah. louder. Yeah. Um, um, I will say one of the videos that I watched um, with somebody performing a Welles um, and Rinne's test um, suggested that when you hit your Tudor fork, it's on your own leg and not the patient.
0: <laughs> Wow.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, so how people very, have been
0: doing that, have they whacking the patient? How
1: very specific.
0: You mm. <laughs> so know, you may as well assess their patella reflex while you're examining them. Uh, cool. So, yeah, so if you've got a conductive hearing loss, Weber's will go towards that ear. If you've got a sensor neural hearing loss, it goes away from that ear. But we're going to do uh, Rinnies after Weber's. So, if Weber's is abnormal, we do Rinnies.
1: Can we move on to do Rinnies, exactly. Um, and essentially, that's. Um, uh, hitting your tuning fork on your own knee, not the patient's knee, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and they holding it on the uh, base of the mastoid process mm-hmm. um, and asking the patient to tell you when the uh, sound stops and essentially then you move the tuning fork to the um, side of the ear, it's um, next to the external meatus, um, and ask them if they can hear it and essentially they should be able to hear it because air conduction is louder than bone conduction so they should continue to hear the sound.
0: This is where the um, uh, this, this is where the uh, description you use. So a positive Rinne's test um, is actually normal because we always think positive is, is what happens in an abnormal environment so a positive Rinne's test um, is your normal which is where your air conduction is going to be bigger than your bone conduction. Mm. Okay, uh, Both of those will be reduced if you've got sensorineural hearing loss uh, but in conductive hearing loss you get bone conduction Uh, will be louder better than air conduction. And that is what we call a negative Rinne's test. So if you do a Weber's on your patient and they hear it better in their left ear and then you do Rinne's on that left side and bone conduction is better than air conduction, you can say that that patient's got a conductive hearing loss in
1: the left ear. And to refer them to, E&T to, and refer them to specific ENT. And refer to ENT and get
0: some specific tests <laughs> with their twenty first century technology rather than our Victorian technology that we sometimes have to still use in ENT. Uh, whereas if it's a Weber's test uh, that lateralizes to the left ear. Uh, but on the left ear, air conduction is better than bone conduction. That suggests it's a neural hearing loss yeah. on the right side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I guess one way to sort of, I think when you read a lot of the text about the Rinne's test now, is essentially they try to get you to not use a positive and negative mm. um, in terms of it, your, your yeah. terminology, because actually it's just confusing. So just explain what your your patient is saying, yeah. they're hearing, um, would be a much simpler way to do it. Um,
0: yeah, marvellous.
1: Marvellous, moving so on to
0: nose. That's Weber's and Rinny's, which we no way had to look up. So now we're having a look at our patient's uh, nose. Uh, and again, I swear, we work in A&E, it's mostly trauma here again. It's I've been punched, I've been in a rugby tackle,
1: yeah. now
0: my nose is bent. <laughs> so the
1: other thing that um, you'd need to consider are things like post-nasal drips, um, uh, coughs, um, I think as a result of that um, as well. Um, sinusitis. Um, so um, people complain of frontal headaches and things like that that is going to a whole different realm um, of podcast um, I suspect um, so symptoms of the nose could be you've already mentioned uh, bleeding um, as one of the things so epistaxis um, but discharge um, so rhinorrhea any type of rhinorrhea um, sneezing coughing um, a blocked nose I feel that pain. Um, pain itself <laughs> um, deformity um, and change in smell so um, uh, an absence of smell um, anosmia? Anosmia. Anosmia. Um uh, reduced smell hyposmia. <laughs> um, and then an unpleasant smell um oh carcosmia. There we go. Cacosmia. Um, examination is exactly the same. So it's um, essentially a prepare, um, inspect, palpate, um, and then your special tests. Um, not forgetting, obviously, to get your consent off the patient um, before you play with their nose. Um, so looking at the external nose, looking at the surface, and notice any deformity. And that would include things like um, any sort of deviations of the septum that you can see externally, and, um, which might be an indication of previous nasal fracture. Um, Um, and then actually inspecting the um, nasal flares um, themselves. Um, You can use um, an otoscope (laughs) or or horoscope, looking at somebody's nose as well, if they would tolerate it, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly an injury. Sometimes that is quite difficult, but certainly there is going to be a need for some form of light, so whether that be a pen torch to help you, but actually an otoscope would give you you're going to want to see, look for septal hematoma in trauma. So within trauma, yeah. One which of is the one of the
0: findings, that, which moves yeah, us on to findings. Which moves us <laughs> on to
1: finding. So um, within the context of trauma um, that you would be looking for um, any signs of septal hematoma yeah. um, essentially it's a red cherry um, in the middle of
0: somebody's nose. <laughs> Pretty much just imagine a cherry and that is what a septal hematoma is. A septal
1: like. hematoma is. Um, the other thing that you would be looking for as well, um, uh, uh, in the absence of things like trauma, um, would be the sort of septal fissures, um, so holes within the septum itself, um, of which there is lots of different reasons. Piercings is one. one. Yep. <laughs> um, the use of drugs, so I think it was well popularised quite a few years ago, the use of cocaine and um, how that destroys the septum. The
0: uh, actress who played one of the Mitchells, Daniela, Daniela Westbrook, Westbrook, That's says she lost... <laughs> lost her septum and had to have one made. There yeah, we go.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, looking for signs.
0: Um, Cutting edge. Cutting edge. popular culture, that well-known. That well-known uh, Heat magazine. Heat magazine, that well-known medical journal. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, that, that case.
1: That case um, report. <laughs> <laughs> um and then um hypertrophy of the terminate, so that's it within the um within the nose um which may cause mouth breathing um um for uh, patients, but also disturbed sleep as a result mm. of this. This is It's a big issue, isn't it, the things That things are going on, because actually you can end up with disturbed sleep pattern overnight, impacts on your day, um, not good. Um, and then the other thing to think about is nasal polyps, um, so um, gross, essentially they're painless, at the lining of the nasal passages, and patients might complain of increased snoring at night time, de- um, yeah. uh, altered sleep pattern, feeling tired when they're waking up. Um, obviously there would be need to be further potential investigations to see why that is happening. Happening. Hmm. Um, so thinking about things like obstructive sleep apneas and things. Um, but um certainly that's something that uh, would need referral on to ED and then essentially a um potentially a removal of the growth. Cool. Uh, so palpating, so feeling the nasal veins gently, particularly in the in the um in the presence of trauma, um I found that they don't tend to like you touching their nose if no, they've they broken it. No. Um so very gently um uh, palpating um along sort of the bridge coming down the um, nasal cartilage um, uh, so you can distinguish the sort of bony um, uh, deformity from any castle deformity. Um, I'll check the um, integrity of the orbital ridges um, as well uh, and range of movements of the eyes um, particularly in things like trauma just to exclude things like orbital blowout Yep, and then um, palpating also for cervical lymphadenopathy. Mm-hmm. Also, um, um, I sometimes, um,
0: especially in, the, in trauma, I ask patients, the patient, not me, to um, occlude one nostril and try breathing through the other one to check for nasal patency as well. That's well, option. I'd have no yeah.
1: hope today, Jamie, at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mouth breathing only.
1: Mouth breathing only for me today.
0: Oh, bless. Marvelous. Uh, and so that is the nose. Uh, And we are now on to the throat, with E, N and now T. Uh and so again, very common scene uh, in A and E, and also in primary care. Patients coming That's in with quite
1: a few people coming in with flu, throat with, symptoms, yeah,
0: absolutely. At the moment. Uh, so, what sort of throat symptoms is our patient going to start? Oh, so I think probably
1: the, the the biggest thing that people will complain of is pain, isn't it? Um, yeah, sore throat. <laughs> so sore throat or pain on swallowing. So odophagia, um, so pain on swallowing. And um, they might complain of a hoarse voice. Um, mm-hmm. They might complain of trismus, they're not able to open their mouth fully. Mm-hmm. Um, a dry mouth, um, having bad breath, um, so halitosis. Upper airway wheezing, sort of strider, something that we would be pretty concerned of if, mm. we, if we if we saw that. So it's a, a big red flag there um, before you even laid a hand on the patient. Um, and then complaining of any sort of lumps um, in the neck, um, which could be a sign of lymphadenopathy.
0: At this point I would signpost you to the podcast on uh, the sore throat podcast that we did a a few months back. Uh, Cool, so um, (laughs) we've uh, now going on to our examination of our throat then, Uh, so what we're going to be looking at... So so,
1: so, so very much the same as before, there's a a structured approach isn't there of uh, preparing the patient, consenting them, Um, listening, so uh the first thing because we've already mentioned here so upper upper airway noises so things like stridor. yeah um so that is a uh a, a thing to to have as part of your um examination process at the beginning um, and then inspecting and then palpating Um so listening wise i've mentioned stridor, but um vocal changes um, that could change with pathology of the throat so having um a rough voice and um, mine sounds a little bit rough today um so with a sign of sort of vocal cord pathology whether that would just be some inflammation from um, an upper respiratory tract infection or something more serious underlying it um they could sound uh, breathy um and maybe an indication of uh, recurrent laryngeal um, nerve palsy um a wet horse or dysarthric voice and um, thinking about neurological uh, reasons behind that um, whether acute or uh, chronic um, a muffled voice um uh, within, within the context of oropharyngeal uh, masses yeah. um like the lady we discussed previously yeah. um, a nasal escape um so soft um palate dysfunction um for instance uh, cleft palate yeah um So, inspection of the um, mouth is key. It's something that I I mean, as part of your cardiorespiratory exam, you do have a look in the mouth and part of the GI exam, exam. you look in the mouth, so actually, knowing your anatomy of the mouth is pretty essential. Um, And what I would say is that you, obviously there is a um, concise examination that we do as part of those, but this is actually much more thorough. So in terms of inspection, a thorough examination would include looking at dentition, um, starting with hard, the hard palate, looking at the hard palate and moving to the soft palate, um, checking the uvula, so seeing if there's an inflammation of the uvula at the back there, thinking about uvulitis and things like that. Um, consequently, I've only ever seen that a few times, but when people do come with it, they're incredibly uncomfortable and they can't stop gagging because it's just tickling at the back of the throat and, mm. and um, initiating their gag reflex. Um, then not think about the posterior pharyngeal wall um, so in terms of color um, and yeah. if there's any exudate there um, if there's swelling there um, and then the um, the tonsil, tonsil region so the tonsils either side and um, if again if they're inflamed um, if there's any exudate on those or if there's evidence of scarring where they've had a recurrent mm. um, tonsillitis in the past um, you'd be able to sort of see that um, and then looking, um, moving down, looking at the tongue itself, so looking for any sort of ulcerations, um, looking for any sort of cracks within the tongue, um, which could be signs of just placated tongue really, um, which can be benign, um, but also thinking about any underlying pathology that could be causing it. Um um I would also say to, say to look under the base of the tongue as well, yeah. so um, looking at your frenulum, um, just to check to see if there's any, any changes there. I guess within children that would be a sign of sort of non-accidental injury potentially yeah, in, yeah, in the absence absolutely. of a, a trauma, um, so something to, to look mm. at there. I tend to find when I'm expected, in inspecting somebody's mouth actually sometimes you need to have a tongue depressor uh, to and you need to have a pen torch really yeah. to have a thorough look um, and actually there is a Point when you're um, examining somebody's mouth that actually you, you actually put your fingers in to have a feel around sort of the base and around the edges um, as well um, in terms of being thorough um, and not to miss any any anything there.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so looking for discoloration, swelling, inflammation, ulcerations or nodules. Uh, the patient's bite. Mm. um i can't really say that without biting (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, and tongue deviation um uh, any other findings that you might see are things like thrush um um,
0: nasty white sore
1: yeah you can get leukoplakia on the tongue as well Mm -hmm. incredibly common particularly those um who smoke um and it's something that resolves itself normally once people stop smoking um so uh, and then the next thing would be things like dental caries. um
0: And Ulster is very common.
1: Yeah, and kind of not isolating it just to the mouth. So thinking about sort of systemic um, mm-hmm. disease that could cause that, things like Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, a first presentation mm. um, and putting it all together.
0: So again, um, the podcast on sore throat has a very good section about uh, examination things that you can find, especially about tonsils and peritonsular abscesses. So I really recommend having that, giving that podcast to listen to. Cause oh, yeah, ongoing they, management.
1: Yeah, absolutely um yeah is that it yeah I think that's
0: it marvellous you can go and blow your nose now and uh, (laughs) (laughs) that is uh, ear nose and throat examination (laughs) thank you very much Lucy thank you that was the examining the ear nose and throat podcast Uh, remember you can find the blog entry for this podcast at uh, www.takecorally.com, where you can uh, subscribe to takeorally on both SoundCloud and Apple podcasts for more if um, you crossify find take orally on both facebook and twitter for more information about research and education opportunities with emergency medicine and acute medicine major trauma don't forget to check out NUH dream on both facebook and twitter